and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Podcast, the world's largest weekly podcast dedicated to leadership. I'm your host, Scott Miller. And you may know recently I released a book from HarperCollins titled Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. Those minds, of course, had to come from being a guest on leadership. I curated a fast, easy, breezy read Around 30 of my favorite interviews from our first season, pick up a copy of Master Mentors to learn more about how to become a better mentor and mentee yourself. And perhaps today's guest might even agree to be featured in one of the future versions of Master Mentors, 10 volumes coming in the next 10 years. Today's guest is a master at brand, brand building, marketing, sales. He is, by every account of my experience with him, an energy infuser. His name is Ryan Serhant, and he's joining us today from New York City. Ryan, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you so much for having me. Ryan, thanks for your time today, for your investment in our audience. Your recent release, Big Money Energy, How to Rule at Work, Dominate at Life, and Make Millions is a riotous read. It will deserve a prominent place on the book wall of fame behind me. I appreciate your time today. Ryan, most people know you as perhaps one of the most successful real estate leaders of all time. You, on average, sell close to or more than a billion dollars of real estate a year. You are one of, okay, the star of Bravo's Million Dollar Listings New York, and I'm delighted you've joined us today. One of the reasons why I invited you on was, Ryan, you also taped another series of a program, I believe, on Bravo called Sell It Like Sirhunt. I think yes. there were eight episodes. I binge-watched every one of them on a flight to the Middle East a couple of years ago, and I found you to be so endearing. Your intent was obvious. It was pure to help people build their self-esteem, become more, well, more aware of their blind spots, to increase their sales skills. So today we're going to talk a bit about what you would say to people who are in sales, formally and informally. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take some time to sort of readdress, retell the story of you literally moving from a fairly obscure person who wanted to be an actor, moved to New York to become a salesperson, to now an international celebrity coach, author, keynote speaker. Talk about the process of interviewing for Bravo's hit program, Million Dollar Listings New York. Take your time. I'd like people to understand all the lessons that can be taught from your journey and that process of interviewing and ultimately being cast on this series? Uh, sure. I mean, it is. Uh, that was a long uh, time ago, but it was one of those transformative moments for, for me. You know, I moved to New York City when I graduated college in 2006. I had no money other than what my grandfather had left me when he died, plus some savings that I had made from uh, working on ranches. You know, my parents had a ranch in Colorado. Um, and I worked there. I grew up on a farm uh, outside Boston, so some work there. And I never really spent money, so I just had some of those savings. And I gave myself two years in New York City to make it as an actor. That's what I wanted to do. I went to college for theater, sort of. Well, theater and English literature. My parents wouldn't let me go to school just for theater because that's that's not real and can't get a real job doing that. Um, and it was really hard in New York. New York is an expensive city, and it's a tough city when you don't know anybody. I was born in Texas, grew up outside Boston. Like I said, uh, then my parents went to Colorado. So I came to New York, total nobody, didn't know anyone. My nicest clothes were khaki pants, cowboy boots, leather belt, collared shirt, you know, sport coat, you know, the, the, with the gold buttons. That was, that was me. That was my fancy outfit. And I'm surrounded by all these people in suits and ties, and cool cars and 
people from the Upper East Side who went to these cool schools and they had these built-in networks and relationships. And I was just by myself living in Koreatown. Um, and I did some theater. I got onto a soap opera and then was quickly killed off. The most money I made actually in those first two years would actually help me survive and stay in New York City was from hand modeling, holding AT&T phones. I would be hung upside down um, for hours on end and my hands would be painted as I was hold a phone for photos to be taken for print ads, billboard ads, you know, taxi cabs, all that stuff. It was actually an award-winning ad campaign that you'd never know that I was a part of unless you got real close to my hands and then you'd say, I know those hands. And I was hand famous for a moment there. Um, the running joke in my family, for sure, and every single friend that I've ever had in my life. But it paid 150 bucks an hour, and that covered my rent and food and gave me some comfort. But then you can't be a hand model forever uh, or be killed off a soap opera forever. And so I got into real estate on the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy, September 15, 2008. It's the only reason I know that date right? Because everyone was in a conference room on my first day in my sport coat, and my cowboy boots, and they're all watching the TV and everyone quit because it was the end of the world. No one would ever buy New York City real estate ever again. Financial collapse was coming. This was insane. Dark times are ahead of us. And I had nothing to lose because I had no money. I didn't have a stock portfolio. What's the worst that can happen, right? I just thought real estate was really, 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 really hard. And if I learned something from acting, it was one, the power of improv. So, you know, as an actor, you got to go into every single moment. You got to know your lines, you have to be able to memorize. And you also have to be able to say yes and be totally open to anything happening. If someone says to you and you're on stage, Ryan, you're on fire and you're on Mars, you need to say, how is this fire burning on this planet? I must be inside a glass bubble. This is crazy. Let me roll myself over to my spaceship, which is here, because you just move with the moments, move with the moment. Sales is the same thing. And I learned that early on in the beginning. It's like, wait a minute, I just have to memorize information, which anybody can do. And I just have to adapt, move to the moment and listen, right? Listen so I can respond to people instead of doing what everyone else does, which is listen, not pay attention, and then just reply to them, right? You ever been in a bad relationship or have an annoying friend that's just there just for themselves? They listen to reply. They don't listen to respond. Big, big difference. Learned all of that started renting some apartments, rented a $3,000 a month apartment. Commission was $3,000, but because I was a brand new agent, I split it with the brokerage house, 50-50, and I got 1,500 bucks. I didn't know I had to pay taxes on it, so I just spent it. That's my rent plus food. My monthly budget at that time when I got into the business was $1,100 a month to live in an apartment at 38 West 31st Street, building still there, apartment still there. Um, and my, my weekly budget for food and everything was $100 a week. That was it, that's all I really needed. Um, and it was tough. It was tough. And then there was a casting call one day, about a year, a year and a half later. So March 2010, I'd just been renting apartments. I'd sold a couple. I'd somehow finagled myself to get onto a building. So I was selling a whole building in lower Manhattan called 99 John Street uh, in the financial district. So kind of figured that whole thing out. But the casting notice was looking for the best real estate agents in New York City to be on the New York franchise of a show called Million Dollar Listing that aired on Bravo. This was the beginning of 2010. And I'd been doing it for like a year and a half, kind of. Half of that time, I was still paying my bills from hand modeling. I was still doing theater. I didn't get into real estate so I could be a real estate agent. I don't know. I mean, 
now things are different, but then I don't know how many people were born saying, you know what I want to be when I grow up? A licensed associate realtor. <laughs> that sounds like a great career. I'm going to be that guy. No, people got into real estate as second jobs, right? Stay at home moms, kids go off to school. What do I do? Oh, my friends are moving. I'm going to get my license. It's a couple clicks on the internet and I know how to sell a house. That's really what it was. Real estate agents are either really, really young because it's their first job as they go to get a real job or they're much, much older. That was it. People that stayed in it for a career, people that got into the business to make a living out of it and to build something entrepreneurial did not exist up until 2012. And our show had a big thing to do with that. But so uh, I, I filled out this casting notice for the show because I figured, all right, I've got some acting background. I studied it my whole life, theater. I know what it means to be in front of a camera because I did, I was Evan Walsh the fourth, which you all I'm sure remember from As the World Turns, the greatest doctor to ever kill everybody, apparently, because that's what I did <laughs> on As the World Turns, the greatest soap opera ever for nearly 60 years. I know what to do. Um, and I didn't know how many people would want to do this. You know, there's 80,000 real estate agents to compete with every day in New York City. It's crazy. And so I went to an open casting call at the Hudson Hotel. Um, and not a whole lot of people showed up. Just, I think, 3,000 agents showed up. It's a lot. And it immediately gave me PTSD as I remembered all of the different auditions that I used to have to go to for castings when I was trying to be an actor in New York City, where you get rejected because of your face. Like, it's super personal, you know? At least in sales and real estate, no one ever said, Ryan, I'm not taking that apartment and paying you a commission because of the size of your nose or because of the color of your premature gray hair. No, right? They would take an apartment because they found another one or they just didn't like it or they're just being a regular New Yorker and they were just lying to my face. Right. Another lesson you had to learn. People are great when they want to be. But I went into that casting call and I sat in a hotel room and we had 15 seconds and they hit me and they said, why are you here? And I don't know what happened, but I just channeled everything I possibly could think about with not who I was in that moment, but who I wanted to be. Which is really what theater was, which is I'm not Ryan Serhant. I am Dr. Evan Walsh, the fourth. Right. I am Romeo. Right. I am King Leonidas, whoever I am, I am projecting myself to be that person. So I'm sitting down in front of a casting director to be on a reality TV show, which would be huge exposure to tell them I'm the greatest real estate agent because that's what they're looking for. So I'm not going to tell them who I am today. I'm going to tell them who I want to be and who I know that I can be. So I'm not going to lie to them. I'm just going to be future Ryan right now. That's who I'm going to be. And so when they asked me why I was there, I said, because I'm the greatest real estate broker in the history of the known universe deadpan straight to their face. And I don't think anyone else ever gave them that answer. And I said it real fast, real strict, because that's the answer and stop period. They then said, okay, how do you get around the city? All right. Well, currently I get around the city in my Metro card and the subway. And sometimes I have to share a seat with a homeless person, uh, but future Ryan, the person you're casting on the show and the person I will be, if you give me this opportunity, uh, black car by day, Range Rover by night. Wow. Crazy. How old are you? 24. You have a Range Rover? Next question. Okay. So what's your favorites? If you're an animal, who would you be? That was a tricky one. Um, uh, and so I just got nervous and I went alphabetical and I said aardvark because I think aardvark is A-A-R-D, right? So uh, they asked me why and I, I gave them some response that I think just made sense at the time. And then I left and that was it. Didn't hear anything. And then they called me back. 
and I had to do a Skype. Remember Skype? And then they called me back again and I had to do a written application. And then they narrowed it down to like 16 of us and said, um, we've gone through everyone in New York. We're looking to find the best four agents to star in the first season of Million Dollar Listing. And just so you know what's at stake, this show will air in 160 countries to 25 million people worldwide in one day. And then it rolls and rolls and rolls. And the people who will see the reruns and reruns and reruns. And it's we, we're going to pay you like $4 an episode because that's why reality TV is everywhere now because they don't pay for you, right? There's no union for reality TV agents. Um, uh, you work basically for free. You work for the exposure. And so this is a commercial you would never be able to afford ever and still wouldn't be able to. So great, let's do it. All right, so we're going to fly into New York City and we're going to follow you around for half a day. Just be your normal self. We just want to see how you work. We want to see how you act on camera. Just don't do anything crazy. So, okay, current Ryan um, might get like a bagel and might go to the office and post ads on Craigslist for apartments that don't exist so I can meet people at Starbucks, tell them, ah, that one just went, and then show them other things so see if I could get a relationship going and see if I could make money. But that's not that's not future Ryan. Future Ryan is a top broker. Future Ryan has listings. Future Ryan has million dollar listings. That's the name of the show, right? Future Ryan has confidence. Future Ryan doesn't take no from anybody. Future Ryan will figure this out. So Future Ryan planned a six hour tour for them through the city. Future Ryan went to this guy in my office who did have a Range Rover, and I said to him, "Listen, I need to borrow your car." Anything I could possibly do, please, please. I convinced him. I don't know how. Uh, he said, just don't pee in it because I guess he gave somebody else the car and he had a dog that peed in it. It was this whole thing. So I, I don't have a dog and I don't pee in cars. So that was no problem. Uh, and I got the Range Rover, never driven in New York City before, which if you've been in New York City and you've ever tried to drive, the first time you do it, it's a terrifying experience because there's no defensive driving in New York. It's just offensive driving. No defense. Just purely go and hope you make it uptown. Uh, so I got the car. I went to Macy's. My dad, when I actually graduated college, my college gift from him was a Macy's credit card because 38 West 31st Street, my first apartment, 34th Street's where Macy's was, and anything I need. I need a plate, right? I need a bed sheet. I need a suit. I need shampoo. You can get it all from Macy's, and this was pre-Amazon Prime, right? No one was going to Amazon for all that stuff at that time in 2006 to 2008. Uh, so I went to Macy's and I totally redid my whole apartment. Um, I got it like all ready. Uh, I got like a new bed. I got a bookshelf. I made it look not like a, a dorm. I made it look like like an upgraded dorm, you know, so they could see that I just work all the time. So I don't care about my my space. And I had to meet me at a boxing gym that I was going to in lower Manhattan called Trinity, which is no longer there anymore, but it was right below the World Trade Center site. And it was this like grungy boot camp boxing gym. I told him to meet me there at 5 a.m. Okay, because I go 24 hours a day. You got to meet me there. Now they're coming from LA. And so I knew that they were going to be super jet lagged because to them, that's like meeting them at two in the morning. And so they showed up and I was already boxing. I found a drill sergeant who worked there and I was like, you need to box with me. He's like, you don't box. I said, I know. Figure this out. You're going to box with me. So when the camera crews rolled in and they were looking for me, I was already up there and he went fucking nuts on me. Crazy. I will never forget yelling at me, telling me I was a loser. I'm failing. I had to tell him like, hey, calm down a little bit. Let's just be like a regular workout. He just, he, I mean, he was like straight from Iraq. Like he was ready to go. So we did that. I took him back to the apartment in my Range Rover, driving through the city for the first time, ran through all the red lights, totally fine because I'm a power broker. And I think that's what power brokers do, at least at the time. Took him to my apartment, 
took a shower in front of them. That was weird. Talked to them about my life and then went off to my first appointment, which I had pre-scheduled to have a friend of mine show up who was actually looking for an apartment, thank God, uh, for a penthouse in Gramercy, um, which I would have done anyway. And it just happened to be that I forced him to do it on that day. In the drive from that apartment, uh, from my apartment to that apartment, I made sure that every single person I knew would just call me, told everyone, call me. So my phone wouldn't stop ringing because I wanted them to know that I was the greatest broker in the history of the known universe, which meant that I was busy. I didn't have time for this casting stuff. So you just need to come here and you need to watch. And they saw everyone was calling me. And I'd have to quickly pick up the phone and tell my mom, like, keep calling me. Or I would tell her, no, mom, the wire hasn't hit. But I wouldn't say mom. I'd call her like Alice or something. Um, and it worked, right? Because that's the persona that I wanted to sell because I'm a salesperson and that's what I do. And I went through and I showed the apartment. The guy loved it. And then my next showing, they canceled on me, which really made me nervous and freaked me out because I was supposed to be with them for like six hours, half day. They wanted to follow me around. But I remembered this one time I went on a date and this girl, she got up, took a phone call, went to the bathroom and she came back. Um, and I really liked her. She was super pretty, really, really cool. And she said, so sorry, something just came up. I have to leave. I'm sorry. And she left. And all it did was make me want her more, right? Like I didn't even know her yet. It's just like, you just left in the middle. We were waiting on dinner to show up. You took a call and you had to leave. You're meeting another guy. What are you, like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, it's like distance makes the heart grow fonder, except I barely even know you. So, ah, like it just makes, you want what you can't have. And so it just dawned on me, that's what I'm going to do to these people. I got one shot in front of these people. I just showed them a great thing. I showed them my car. It's not even my car. I drove through the city. We went to the boxing gym. We did everything. I walked out to the rest of the casting crew. They're like, all right, well, where are we going to go next? I said, actually, I got a really important meeting I got to take uptown. You guys can't come. I know you wanted to be with me for the rest of this half day thing, but I hope I showed you enough about what my life is like. Um, uh, but I got to run. Anything else you need, just email me or call me. Thanks. Goodbye. I left, got in the car, and I left them there at the apartment I took them to. And I thought, oh, okay, I totally just lost it here. But I had nothing else to show them. What was I going to do? Take them all the way back to my, to my office and show them that I didn't have any other business that day? Um, not too long after that, they called me and they cast me on the show. And they said, you were the most interesting person we followed all day because I made them want me more. And that's sales. And then they cast us on the show. There were four of us. And then you think sales is tough. You think regular work is tough. Bravo came to us and they said, we're going to film the entire first season with all four of you. Only three of you will make the final cut. So be interesting. Ready, set, go. And there was one person who filmed that whole first season who was on the cutting room floor and no one will ever know who that person was. It sucked. And that show premiered in 2012. We've been nominated for two Emmys. We're going on 10 years later, built my whole career off the backbone of that exposure, used it to open up every door I possibly could. No one called from it. When was the last time you picked up the phone and called someone you saw on TV other than me? You typically don't do it, right? You just watch TV. It's entertainment. Hang up the phone. But if that person calls you, that's interesting. I just saw them on TV. I just saw them on an airplane. That's interesting. And so I made myself a prospecting machine. I'm going to go after everybody. Okay. I'm going to get new shoes that aren't these cowboy boots. I'm going to get everything I can. I'm going to use this hook to get in the door to a door that I otherwise never would have gotten into because I didn't go to Dalton. I'm not from here. I don't go to the synagogue on Saturdays. I don't, I don't, I like, I, 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 I'm, 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 I was born in Houston, Texas on a mattress. I moved eight times before fourth grade. I have one opportunity to make it in New York City. I'm going to make sure that I absolutely do it. And if it's going to be through a reality TV show as a real estate agent, and I'm going to build my real estate career that way, 
that's what I'm going to do. And that's how I got a million dollar listing. And I think that was a really long answer to your super simple question. Ryan, you did exactly what I hoped you would do because you're giving voice to so many people who can relate to, quote, being born on a mattress in Houston and not having gone to Dalton, metaphorically. Uh, reminds me a lot of Patrick Bett David's book, Your Next Five Moves, because he talks about a phrase called your future self, right? Talking as if it were your reality. You're a great sure. storyteller. I have some questions around sales skills, but can you tell one more story for me? And it's a story about Julie Chen. I'm guessing that's a pseudonym, but there's so many great lessons to be told in that. Take a few more minutes, tell the story. I think it's maybe your first significant sale ever. It's a riotous yeah. story. And then we'll get into some more tactical things around what you can teach us around selling. Sure. Uh, her name is June, 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 uh, June Chen. And um, uh, you know, one of my first sales deals ever, early on in my career, because the way, for anyone who's watching, who understands New York City real estate, real estate anywhere, um, when you start off in this business, if you don't know anybody, if you don't work at a big brokerage, you're not a team, well, how are you supposed to get any business? Back then, you got business through Craigslist. That was it. It was Craigslist or New York Times ads. Now, we're in a different world. But back then, that was it. Or you meet people on the street. My first clients, I met outside Saks Fifth Avenue because I would totally profile you. If you had more than two shopping bags and you were coming out of Saks Fifth Avenue on 49th and Madison and 49th and 5th, I would go up to you and give you my card and tell you that you look like you need more space. I don't care, right? Wherever you were. Most of the times, a lot of people didn't speak English. It's fine. Some of my first clients I got that way because I had no shame because my back was up against a financial wall. I'd run out of money. What's this gonna, I, if I went home, I would never come back to New York. And so I gotta figure out how to make this work. And if I don't do it through real estate, I'm gonna start selling my body or something. And that just, I went to college, I, you know, I have a higher education degree. I can't sell my body, I'll sell real estate. It's, just, it's equally deplorable at, at that time. Um, and so I, I would meet people there. I meet people in Starbucks. Actually, my first client base were pregnant women. You know who likes to talk more than anybody? A woman who's pregnant. If she's told that she looks great and how is she doing and it looks like she needs more space, that's talker. And so my first client base, I would go to Starbucks at 49th and Madison, up and down the Upper East Side. If you were pregnant and in Lululemon pants, that meant that you could afford a new apartment for me. And I would tell you, look great. And if you're looking for a new space for your bundle of joy who's coming, you let me know. Here's my card. Some of my first clients that way were pregnant women. And you might think that that's crass or ridiculous, but I had no money and no one was helping me. And no one has ever helped me. And so if I'm going to get clients from foreigners on the streets or from pregnant women in Starbucks, that's how I'm going to do it. And so I would also post open listings. That's what they're called on Craigslist, where I would say, I've got a two bedroom to rent, two bedroom to sell. And I would try to get open listings from people, but no one would give me any listings because I was a nobody. I'm not from here. I didn't, I didn't work at a big name firm. I didn't have any help or guidance. And I had to do everything for free um, while I was still at that time hand modeling to pay the bills because I didn't want to have a survival job. I didn't want to, I didn't want to bartend or wait tables or get temp work because I knew from acting in the city for two years, I knew a lot of 40, 50, 60 year old people who were still temping, who were still bartending, who were still waiting tables, waiting for that moment. And life is short. I don't wanna wait for anybody or anything. I gotta make as much as I can today as possible. And so I wanted to do as much as I could. So real estate was my survival job, if you will. Um, and I learned to be as creative as I possibly could that way. And so those open listings were ways for me to meet people. One day, a woman named June Shen called me from China and said that she was looking for an investment apartment in New York City, 
And it looks like I have a listing that could work for her because she pulled on something else. Would I be able to help her? Uh, sure. I'd never really done a sale before. Um, what's your budget? A couple million. Like my jaw, like it hit the floor. My jaw could hit the floor. It did because I was doing a thousand, two thousand, four thousand dollar a month rentals. I wasn't selling apartments to Chinese investors from China over the phone. Insane. And in a minute there, I thought, okay, I need to refer this out to somebody else. Mike with the Range Rover, can you please come help me? But I decided, just like with the Million Dollar Listing Audition, I need to be who I want to be right now. Why wait for anyone else to tell me I'm the person to do this job? I'm going to be the role before I am the role. That's how to get promoted. That's how to get that raise. That's how I can get my life to where I want it to be next year. I don't want to wait for two years to get to where I want to be. Why don't I start acting like that guy today? And then in two years, future me is going to pat myself on the back and say, thanks for doing that work. Thanks for projecting where you want to go. Thanks for believing in positive energy. Thanks for manifesting our life because it's actually better than what you thought it was going to be. And so I asked June Shen what she wanted the apartment for. She said she's buying it for her daughter. I said, wow, that's great. You're a really nice mom. Uh, how old's your daughter? Um, I'm pregnant. What is it with me and pregnant women? Also, you're buying an apartment in the United States for your pregnant, for your baby, for, 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 for your fetus? Really? Insane. Crazy. All right. So I sent her listings. We went back and forth. And she worked in the energy business, whatever that meant. And she was flying over here. And this was a big thing for me. If I could get someone to buy an apartment for a million dollars, two million, three million dollars, like a million dollar commission, if I'm just on the buy side, is 3%, give or take, that's $30,000. That's, you know, for me then, that was like doing 15 to 20 rental deals. I could do it in one deal. $30,000 pays my rent for two years. That would be huge. It's like hitting the lottery for me. I'd never had that much money in my entire life. And so my back was up against that wall, like I said. And so she said when she was flying in, she was going to be here for a couple of days. She wanted to find something and fly back. And as far as I knew, she was pretty real. She wanted to be on the west side because she wanted access to Columbia. And that's where she kind of knew. And so I went back to my theater days and say, okay, what would I do if I were preparing for a role? I'm going to be Ryan Serhant, the greatest real estate agent in the history of the known universe. And I'm going to be the top broker on the west side of Manhattan. How would I do this if I was doing this on stage? That's what I trained myself for, right? For the first 24 years of my life. All right. Well, first, I am going to see what other agents do. So how do they? All right. So he's a big agent. Uh, he has a car and driver. I can't afford that. But I guess I'll get a car and driver for her. I'll put it on my, my credit card. That's terrifying. Sure. All right. Everyone wears suits. So I went to Macy's. And when I got my first real like suit and tie and dress shoes, it was cool. Um, and then what else? Well, I start learning my lines. All right, so I'm going to go memorize. Every building that I'm going to show her, I'm going to memorize everything I possibly can. How many units are in there? Who built the building? When was it built? Who's the architect? Who's the interior designer? Who's bought in here? Who's sold in here? What are all of the comps? What are the cross streets? What are the school districts? What are the restaurants? I'm going to go to the restaurants too because I'm going to do my preparation. I went in and out of every coffee shop, every bagel place, every grocery store, and I introduced myself to everybody because the off chance that she got hungry or thirsty, I wanted her to always have confidence in me so that when we're in this tour and I'm showing our apartments, I could pull over at any corner and walk in and say, hey, Bob, just here with my client. Can we get two coffees and a croissant? And Bob would say, hey, Ryan, sure. As if I've been there a thousand times because I'm the greatest broker in the history of the known universe, except for the fact that I just met Bob yesterday. 
but that's okay. I'm doing my preparation. I'm doing my work. Jun Shen isn't buying an apartment from Ryan. Jun Shen is buying an apartment from somebody who has confidence in himself. That's all sales is. If you believe in yourself, you believe in your product, the person in front of you is going to believe in you. They're not going to second guess you if you know what you're talking about, right? And so I memorized everything. I got the car, I got the driver, and the day she flew in, I woke up that day calmer than I had been in years. I wasn't nervous at all because I was so prepared. I was so ready to go. And she barely even talked to me. She was so tired and pregnant in her velour tracksuit, fell asleep in the car like all the time. It was ridiculous. Um, uh, and we found an apartment. And it was asking, I think, $2.3 million. And she had such bad jet lag. We negotiated it at 2.30 a.m. at the St. Regis Hotel. She made me get her McDonald's, curly fries, the whole thing. It's just what she wanted, right? I and mean, she's hungry. Um, and we did that deal for $2.1 million. My commission check after all the splits and all the stuff uh, was like, like $24,000 and change. And I'll never forget that. That deal closed and that, that set me up for, for a good couple of years, right? In terms of just buffer position. And she did that deal and that showed me, wow, I can do anything. If I could just, if I could sell an apartment to an unborn child from China over the internet, I could do anything in this business because all I did was prepare and believe in myself. And that's really what sales is. There is no ceiling. There's also no floor, but there's no ceiling. You can do whatever you want every single day to make a living and change your life. And that's, we, we have a big sales course now as my life has obviously changed over the years. And that's what we teach to everyone, limitless livelihood. If you change your energy, you can change your life. And that's what big money energy is all about. And that's how Jun Shen bought that apartment at 80 Riverside Boulevard on the West side. And she still owns it to this day. And to this day has never set foot inside. Ryan, great story. In your book, Big Money Energy, you teach a concept you call the perfection trap. And in fact, I think you even teach it through an associate of yours through her, I don't know, full day preparation of an email. Would you tell yeah. that story and then we'll move on to some other topics? Yeah, there's the perfection trap is, is kind of tied to my idea for how I think about time, okay? Um, listen, I'm a salesperson. I'm not like everybody. I think we're all in sales in some way, but I, I don't sit around and read books all day, right? I don't, I don't sit around and make my calls that I have on my sheet. Like I have to hustle every day, all day. I'm up at 4.20 a.m. in the morning, Sunday through Friday. My, I'm booked like on the 15 minute mark from 7 a.m. all day, every single day. And that's the life that I've committed to living because that's the job and I'm an adult. And when you're an adult, you do what you commit to. It's the biggest difference between amateurs and professionals, right? Is that professionals make decisions based on their commitments. Amateurs, kids make decisions based on how they feel. So like you don't feel good and you didn't go to the gym, it really means that you're still a kid and you're an amateur. Like you don't feel good so you didn't finish the work on time, you know, like you're a little bit lazy, means you're an amateur. And I honestly strictly believe that. And so um, uh, the, the perfection trap, it's really about making the most use of your time. And I try to do a thousand things a day. I wanna do more today than I did yesterday because tomorrow I could get COVID and die, you know? And I have friends that I lost to COVID and that was last year. I have friends that I've lost in a lot of terrible ways and they didn't know it that morning. And so I wanna do as much as I possibly can every single day because I think life is a gift, 
Like the fact that I'm here, I can walk on my own two feet. Like it's like, I, I, I remind myself of that every single day because it is really easy for us to get stuck inside our own little bubble, inside our phones and say, woe is me all the time. Because things could always be better, but they could always be way worse. And so I have a thing called the thousand minute rule, which is there are 1,440 minutes every single day. 440 of those, you're probably going to sleep, eat, you know, kiss your wife, do the thing, maybe watch a show. The other thousand minutes, you have to be productive and get to work, right? It's like, that's kind of about it. Now, everyone has a different day. I get it. You have a thousand minutes. That person might have only 600 minutes because they got carpool and they got this and they got that. It's fine. But on average, you have about a thousand minutes. And every day you get to wake up as the CEO of your own bank of time with a fresh thousand bucks. And what it does when you think about that is it makes you really, really value the time that you have. Because I'm not going to throw away $15. Why would I do that? The same way I wouldn't throw away 15 minutes of my life now. Every meeting, every appointment, everything has to be worth it. I'm not going to waste any time. And the same way if someone ruins 30 minutes, I'm not going to throw away $970, would I? And so there was an agent in my office for years who was so busy all the time. She worked so hard all the time. And I remember this one day I went to the office and she beat me. She was there. She was there at like 6.45 in the morning, right? In a real estate office. And she's working at the computer. She's going at it, going at it. I went in, I had some calls, I had some things. I went out, I had a breakfast meeting. I came back, I had a couple other appointments. I went through, I had a pitch, I did this, I did that. I came back and she was still there. She was working. It's like, damn, she must've been in and out, running, running, running. By the end of the day, she's still there. I went up to an asked her. I was like, wow, you've been crushing it today. Like, what'd you get done? How many deals you had done today? Oh no, today I've been just really focused on this one client. Okay, cool. Tell me about it. Cause she worked for me. Um, well, this one guy, I'm, I'm trying to get this listing. Okay, great. Um, and I just, he's really analytical. He's so, he's such a perfectionist. And so I, I just, I'm trying to get this email to be perfect. Okay. What, what, what were you doing at 645? Oh, that's when I started it. Hold the phone. You've been working on one email all day. Well, yeah, it's a really big listing. It's like a 20 million. I get it. Oh, I get it. How much is your time worth? What, do, what is your hourly wage? How much money do you want to make this year? Back it out. How much money did you just spend with your time? Because there's a dollar amount to that. Writing this one email. You cannot be stuck in this perfectionist trap because nothing will ever be perfect. You know what's perfect? A great life moving forward with great positive momentum. And I had to sit with her and really explain to her, you can't do that. You've got to be able to do the best you can, be efficient, move on. Next one, next one, next one. If he's going to hire you, it's not going to be because of your perfect email. Make sure the email's not bad. Make sure you know how to write. Make sure you can be grammatically correct. But don't sit there and think that someone else is going to care more about that email than you're going to care about writing it because it's just not going to happen, especially someone who owns a $20 million apartment. They want to show that you have confidence in yourself. And I really had to get her out of what a lot of us call analysis paralysis, right? I want to be an action taker, not an action thinker. Ryan, well said. I'm mindful of your time. I want to land our conversation talking about brands. In your words, perhaps brands that generate leads. The fact of the matter is everybody is in sales. Whether you have a, a nut or a bag you carry, whether you have a revenue goal, every one of us is in sales and all of us have individual brands, not an epiphany. I recently heard you talk about brands that generate leads do three things. They have a core identity, 
that they have constant content and that they shout it from the mountaintop. Would you take a minute perhaps on each of those, whether you are in real estate, whether you are a full-time commissioned salesperson, or you're just recognizing that regardless of what you are, a project manager or a leader or in operations, you have a brand and your job, of course, is to help generate revenue for your firm, for profit or not for profit. Talk first about core identity. What does that mean? So there's something that I have here. So I, I run a real estate firm in New York City uh, that's part real estate brokerage, part ed tech, part media company. Okay? We have an in-house film studio. Um, we right now, not just me and the company, but the world as a whole, okay? this is the golden age of the gig economy. You can build anything and sell anything in any way, shape, or form in a way that we have never been able to do before. And it's respected in a way that has never been respected before. You want to start a face care company? Do it. Start it. There are companies that will help you. You can do the whole thing from your phone and then sell it all in the Instagram shop. You want to just tell jokes and make money for it? There are websites you can do, you can do that now. It's crazy. And so I've always believed that you need to learn the tools and tricks of how to sell. That was my first book. That's the show that you mentioned, Sell It Like Sirhant. So I think anybody could sell. You just need to know how to do it. Some people are born with that sales talent. They have that personality. They know how to follow up. They can be persistent. Okay. But some people need to learn how to do that. And that's totally fine. And then you need to have the confidence. That's a secret sauce so that you can actually have the confidence to use that toolkit so that you're not just frozen like I used to be and saying, okay, I think I know what to say to her, but I don't know how to say it. No, you need to step out of your own skin, be you two years in the future with that person, be confident. Yeah, I think they would. So be confident now. But then you could say you're the greatest salesperson. You could have the greatest thing to sell, but if no one knows what you're selling, then you're never going to sell anything. And that's the trifecta, right? That's brand. And this isn't just personal brand, like you are the brand from 1987 or whatever that book was. Think about what brand really is. What is a brand? It's not a logo, right? Nike has a swish, but you know it for so many other reasons now. Brand, at the end of the day, for personal brands and all of us watching this, hopefully listening, okay, whether you run a company or you are a salesperson individually or you're starting to build a product, Brand is that core identity. If you are the founder or you are the salesperson, who are you? You are what? Okay. And I'll get to that. Core identity, what you believe strongly, right? What you believe truly in your core is what's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to ooze out your pores. It's going to be in how you present yourself, that first impression, because you're going to believe it. Because you could tell everyone, oh, I'm this. But if you don't believe it, you're going to show up like, Muh, oh, I'm this. And it's not the same thing. Core identity turns into the perception the world has of you because that's what you're telling everyone you are. That perception, when you leave the room, turns into reputation because now people are talking about you behind your back. Right. <clears throat> reputation turns into brand. So core identity is who you are. And it's about finding your and. So for me, I am real estate and media. I went to school for theater. I like it. I like being in front of the camera. I, I, I know how to sell through media now. We are really a, a real estate content commerce business. And so we sell real estate through media. That's my aunt. What is your aunt? Maybe if you are real estate for the sake of argument here, maybe you're real estate and cooking. 
Because how are people going to know who you are? Not just by what you sell, because everyone sells that thing. Not the only person. So what can you connect your personality to? And if you think you're boring, everyone's boring. There's something. Maybe you like cooking. Maybe you like video games. Maybe you have a mom. Maybe you're thinking, whatever it might be. Think about the things that you like to do that are not the thing you're selling. That is your and. Figure that thing out. And then you need to post across all consistent content platforms because we're in a day and age when you can post for free. Maybe your soul isn't for free, but content is for free. Advertising can be free. Now you can run social ads. It's a whole separate thing, but consistent content is step two of what we call here, the Sirhant brand strategy system. Build that core identity. Be very clear with it. Create consistent content. So you're reminding people over and over and over again, why you so that you are the one who sells what or you're the one who writes what or you're the one who does what whatever any this this is transcribed to any industry doesn't have to be sales doesn't have to be real estate it could be anything you are the one who does what be very clear on that and then every success you have you have to amplify it which i call shouting from the mountaintop no one's going to know what you sell if you don't tell them and you're not bragging there's nothing to do with bragging it's everything to do with respect and for honoring your clients and letting people know that you just did a great job for your client and they're very happy. Or you just got this article published. Amazing, great, a publisher accepted your work. That's incredible, people need to know about it. So amplify, tell people about it, be shameless, right? There is no nobility in shutting up anymore. It's a loud, loud world out there and the louder will survive. So how do you cut through the noise? You do that with a clear, concise, and memorable personal brand. Ryan Sirhunt, you have invested uh, 40 minutes with us and our listeners and viewers. Thanks for your generosity. Your most recent book is Big Money Energy. It's riotous. It's vulnerable. It's relatable. It's actionable. Uh, highly recommend it to everybody listening to this around the world. Tell us what's next for you, your family, your business, your brand. My family, my business, my brand. Um, well, the family's fine. I have a baby. She's two and a half. I think she's in school right now. Kind of. She's two. So it's like a twos program. Uh, but she's doing pretty good. I'm going to check her grades here soon. Um, but family's good. Everyone's great. We just moved into a new house. It's exciting. My focus now entirely is on the business. We started in the middle of COVID. I decided to blow up my whole life and start a new company focusing on real estate headquartered in New York City. Every single person told me not to do it, which to me meant I should probably do it. And we did. And we launched on September 15th, 2020, 12 years to the day from when I got into the business, 12 years to the day on the anniversary of the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. And we've been legal since October 1st, 2020. So just over 13 months, but who's counting really? And my goal is to build it as big as I possibly can by myself. There's no investors, there's no partners, no loans, no nothing. I'm doing this from the ground up the way I started my career. Because uh, if I can do it this way, um, then I think it'll be a good example for a lot of other people that they can do whatever they want as well, right, to create any type of business. And so if anyone out there watching is looking to buy or sell real estate, please let me know. My email is ryan at sirhant.com. I love it, man. You're a class act. Thank you for your abundance today. Thanks for your investment. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Leadership.